Hello and welcome to Nikki Jameson Art Talks, a podcast where we artists share our thoughts, challenges, inspirations and creative life. I'm Nikki Jameson and today my guest is Atalie Taylor from Tasmania, Australia. You can find out more about Nikki Jameson and listen to more fabulous artist interviews at nikkijameson.com. Let's meet Atalie. Okay, everybody, welcome to Nikki Jameson Art Talks. Thank you for joining us on another interesting podcast. Today, my guest is Athalie Taylor from Tasmania, Australia. Welcome, Athalie. Thank you, Nikki. Good to be with you. Good to be with you, too. So, Athalie, tell us a little bit about yourself and your story. You are an artist and we met through the different Awake courses, but tell us a little bit about how you came to be creating art. Just start with telling us about yourself. Well, my name's Athalie Taylor. I live down under in Tasmania, Australia. I didn't grow up in Tasmania. I married a Tasmanian. I was, I was born and grew up in Ballarat. Um, I had four years at my first high school. I was a good all-round student, but my favourite subjects were in the crafts, sewing and art areas. Um, I wanted to do more with my life than just work in the factories. Ballarat was a a big manufacturing uh, city in those days, so there were lots of clothing factories, shoe factories, etc. And I think my mother had visions of me just working there. I had other ideas and wanted to do something else. So by the by fourth year, I was starting to think, what can I do? I really wanted to go to art school, but no, that was a great big no. <laughs> so my second choice, my second choice was in the the sewing area. So I did a lot of research around the various schools and 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 collecting other information, and I discovered that the technical school had. Um, the first two years of a Diploma of Needlecraft on offer. So I decided that I would do that. It was a three-year course, but I could do two years in the country, in Ballarat, and then I would do my third year in Melbourne, in the capital city of Victoria. So I knew my parents really couldn't afford for me to do this, so I looked into bursaries and studentships, etc. I applied for a bursary and I was awarded it, and that gave me £50 a year for the first two years. So those two years that I was at in Ballarat, still at the technical school, that that was worth, in today's money, 730 Australian dollars, so quite a lot of money really, and that covered my materials in the course that I was doing. So I had the, the, the school I changed to was um, the Girls Technical College, but they were in a, a transition period and they were building a brand new school down at Sebastopol, the os- opposite end of Ballarat for me, but a brand new school. But it was still in the transition stage. So the first year there were 20 girls in my class and we had our classes around a range of buildings all over Ballarat. So we had some classes in the Ballarat School of Mines, which overlooked the Ballarat Jail. We had some classes in Humphrey Street Primary School, where a former Prime Minister, Sir Robert Menzies, um, did his, his primary school training. And at the old Ballarat Girls' School, and um, and 
So we walked, we usually had three-hour sessions. So at lunchtime, you walk to the next place. So you might have been at the, the technical school in the morning or the School of Mines, and then you might be over at Humphrey Street or the Old Girls School. Later on, uh, there, were only, there was only me left in, in second year. All of those girls, bar one, went into the factories to work. But one girl, my, a friend of mine, she her parents were a little bit more fortunate financially and she was able to go to Melbourne and, and go into the course in second year. But I didn't mind being my, by myself really because I worked in with other first year students, a new group, but I but I had a lot of attention from the teacher. And she was great because she made me think for myself. And I think that that's really, really important. She never really criticised. She would say, have you thought about what about trying? And so even when I started teaching later on, I used those techniques myself. So I had a very good two years there. By the time I was ready to go to Melbourne, I needed to apply for a studentship because then there would be more expenses. I needed to stay in a hostel and I needed more more money for materials. So I applied for a studentship and again, I did get it. And that allowed me to live in Melbourne in a hostel and it covered all my materials but with not much money left over. So I shared a room with a girlfriend who was at Emily McPherson College as well, but she was in the cookery side of things. She had a little bit more spare cash than me because the cookery classes didn't cost as much as as it was for me making garments. So we used to do babysitting. There were quite a few really top-class hotels around the corner in Collins Street, Melbourne, up the top end. They call it the Paris end of Melbourne of Collins Street. So we would, on a Saturday night, we would often babysit, which was was good. We took our books around. We were good students. We took our work around. We worked there. The people we worked for often gave us, left us nice food to eat. (laughs) And so we earned a little bit of money that way. At Emily McPherson College, I had to work really, really hard. I used to go to, to school before before the classes started. I worked in my lunch hours and I worked after school as well in other classes because many of the, the classes that they had in the, in the diploma course weren't on offer at the country school that I went to. So I worked really hard and got through that course. So I, by then I had a diploma of needlecraft. In Victoria at that time, I, I presume it's still the same, to, to become a teacher, you had to have your diploma, you had to have two years in industry, and then you went to teacher's college, so a long haul. Uh, I, I did my, um, my two years trade experience at a company called E. Lucas & Company in Ballarat because that allowed me to live at home and, uh, and go to work. In, in the company. It was a very big company. I think there were about 500 people working there in various departments. I worked in the pattern department. So I made all the first patterns and I was involved in, in um, checking the garments after they're graded. So in each in each pattern is made in a size, say a size 12, and then they're graded down and they're graded up. But at, at various stages throughout that process, you make another another garment and that's tried on again because you can't just, just keep adding or subtracting because that doesn't work in with the human figure. So you have to check again. 
I was often asked to be the model to try the clothes on because I was a slim young thing back then. And sometimes the house model wasn't available. She actually, her home base was in Melbourne, so she wasn't always up there to fit garments on. I was very lucky because because I already had skills, I was often uh, often given opportunities to do other things. So the costing clerk, he would have me come over to his office and he would have the, the clothing racks of all the beautiful garments from Vanity Fair in America. And he would ask me then to sketch those garments, just a simple sketch that he then clipped to the top of his costing sheet. I loved the times I spent in that office. It was really good. Uh, Sometimes the the people who owned the factory, their name was Price, but you always called them Mr Brian or Mr Eric. You never mentioned the name Price because there were so many of them. (laughs) But sometimes they would ask me to do jobs as well. And I remember one time I did um, posters and um, signs for a big trade fair that we were involved with. Another time one of them had a yacht and he wanted uh, numbers and letters for for his sales and I did that too. So I took on anything that was offered and it was good fun. But those two years came to an end. And my studentship was then resumed because I was going to be living in Melbourne again. So I earned it back in the Emily McPherson days. While I was in in trade, I got that £50 a year again. Uh, And then when I went back to Teachers College, then the bigger amount was made available to me again so that I could live away from home. This time I lived in a flat with the girl who went to Emily McPherson in second year and another friend of hers. That was a great year. It was different to um, other teaching college experiences, I think, in that we had we were assigned to a school two and a half days a week. So we had regular classes and then we had two and a half days a week in a college situation. We were lucky. We 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 were um, our our college was in beautiful old home in Turak which is a upper class area of Melbourne so that was really nice and also we were the following year they were building a new college as well so we were invited to help with the planning of of how the how the rooms would be set up and what would be needed for students so that was another really nice thing that happened in those years so six years have gone by by now I had a three-year diploma, two years in industry and a year in teachers' college. And my first school was Dalesford Technical High School, a lovely country high school, really beautiful students, really fabulous principal, and I enjoyed my time there very much. In the meantime, I'd met John in Melbourne. He was from Tasmania. And he and I were married in um, January 1970 and I moved to Tasmania where I've been ever since. So in the the 70s, right up till the late 80s, I'll just give you a brief rundown of what I did then. I had two children. (laughs) I, I had two years teaching when I first came to here. Then I had two children, one in 72 and one in 74. I wasn't content to just be a mum. I did lots of other things as well. I did sew for us all. I made all of our clothes, all John's trousers, shirts, jackets. I knitted all of the clothes my children wore, including our underwear. I didn't make John's underwear, but I did make ours. They were all made by me. 
I also took, uh, I also did some custom sewing. I didn't like that much because people wanted custom made garments at off the off the rack prices. Um, so I concentrated a bit more on classes. So I ran classes at home. A little bit down the track, my children were still quite young, and a friend and I decided we'd open a, a, a sewing school. So it, it was called Nita School of Needlecraft. We had 100 students and we taught a huge range of, of um, subjects, tailoring and pattern making and children's wear. You name it, we took it. I, um, All of the clothing that my children and I wore represented the things that I was teaching. So, you know, I would be able to take clothes along that I'd made for the children and I wore the clothes that that I made for me too. So that that allowed to allowed people to see what it was we were talking about. In um, 77 and 79, we I took two years off from teaching at home so that John and I could travel with our children. So we had two lengthy trips with a camper trailer in outback parts of Australia, along, along the east coast for one trip, but then into the outback and up to Darwin. And the second trip we did um, to Adelaide and over to Western Australia, and that was good fun and, and a really good thing to do while the children were young. After that, I gave up sewing for a while and I went into porcelain dolls. I did doll making and selling, and but, but the bread and butter line for that, of course, was classes. So I ran classes at home and all over the state eventually. So when John was at work for the weekend, I was at home. And when I was away for the weekend, he was home. So our children were very well cared for. Because of my background in sewing, um, I, I started to, I introduced doll costumes for the, for the students as well, because that was an area that many of them really didn't know where to start. So I taught French hand sewing again at home and then other people other than doll makers got to hear of this French hand sewing. And so I ran classes in, in a business in the CBD and special interest groups like lace, the lace makers also wanted to, to do classes in that as well. So I did that in, in Launceston and also along the northwest coast. When I was doing the dolls, and I was doing dolls all of this time, it's very difficult to um, to keep everything going all of the time. And, of course, I had children, so I wanted the school holidays to be a little free so that I could spend time with them. And it also gave me time to pour greenware ready for the next classes. One day a, a lady came round to collect some greenware and she saw me doing printing on fabric and showing my daughter how to applique and she said what are you doing and I said well we're making it we're making a wind cheetah and she said well I'd really like to do that so I thought about it and I thought you know this could be a an in-between class sessions something we could do then so I made up some t-shirts shirts and some wind cheetahs and I wore them into town I walked into one shop a lady said oh I love your wind cheetah I'd like one of those where did you buy it I said I didn't buy it I made it and she said, oh, do you take classes? And I said, yes. And I filled the class in that one shop, in that one trip. <laughs> so I ended up class number one. And again, that grew and I ended up running that up, up the northwest coast as well. So that was another very successful venture. 
But by the time my children were getting into late high school, I thought I really should be back in the paid workforce. Working at home in those years was good. It meant that I could fit my work around my kids. But, and, and I had regular hours. I had, you know, like I had a shop. I had a, a room that was a shop so people could buy supplies. They could buy their greenware. I ran classes. But the problem is that people don't always adhere to the time so you'd find people would pop in on their way home from work right when you were cooking dinner <laughs> and, and all sorts of things like that if I went away for the weekend I did have a I was one of the first people in, amongst my friends who had an answer machine so I could and I didn't have a phone down there so I told people if they needed to talk to me to ring, leave a message and I would get back to them. And that did work very well, especially for the school holidays when I was away for quite a few weeks. So that meant that I could get the message and then make arrangements to go to, up to town to sell them whatever it was they wanted. But I found after a while that I really wanted my time at home with my family rather than helping other people. So I applied for a job at TAFE, which is Technical and Further Education, and it was in the textile and clothing department. I managed to get a part-time job there, uh, teaching a range of subjects. But after the first year, it looked like there might not be more work offered for the following year. So I decided I should pick up a course and what did I pick up? An art course. <laughs> so by then, my daughter was 18 and I was, I think, 40 or thereabouts, in, anyway, around early 40s. And so we went back to school together. She was coming from year 10 and I was just going to school. I asked, asked my colleagues in the art school that we not be put in the same class so that because they had two classes running so that she could make her friends and not feel that her mum was hanging around. <laughs> Mind you, we did an awful lot together, I have to say. Um, outside, of, outside of school, we did a lot together that, that really worked for our, for our classes. Um, I, the course I was doing there was a certificate in design studies so by this time, I was doing a full-time course, part-time teaching, 12 hours a week, and then I was offered 20 hours TA work. Now, that's an awful lot. So how did I manage? Well, I did the TA work at night, so I worked at night, and that involved cutting all the, the work for the students to stitch, so that was that was okay, I did that. The teaching was good except that I had to miss some of the uh, art classes. So so I missed uh, a, an afternoon of photography and an afternoon of printmaking so that I could teach somewhere else. So what I did was I wasn't getting the practice in, so I ended up buying secondhand um, photography equipment and built a darkroom under our stairs. So that allowed me to, to do my darkroom work. And, and, you know, still be able to progress there. The printmaking was a little bit more difficult. Um, I had good friends in the class who used to keep me up to date with what was going on, but I couldn't do the practice because I didn't have all the equipment that a, a well-run 
and well-organised um, printmaking studio has. So that was the only subject out of all the subjects I took that I only received a pass. <laughs> all the others I got a credit. <laughs> but as well as that, I'm a glutton for punishment, <laughs> I I had two subjects that I'd enrolled in in the textile and clothing department. So I had fashion drawing and historic costume. So I, I had done those at, in my diploma course, but I just wanted to update. And so I told the lecturer that, or the two lecturers, that I would have the work done, but they would have to wait until I had the other um, certificate in design studies work handed in. And then I would work on that and I would have it to them by the date we agreed to, which I did. And again, I, I, got, I got very high marks for those. The following year, I was offered full-time work in the, in the textile and clothing department. And I, I took up a part-time uni course at that time in textiles and I did drawing as well. But that became too much. So in the end, I just did teaching. From um, 1995 to 2001, I was given an opportunity to work in the art school and there I taught core modules and I was able to write textile, art textile syllabus for the art school and so I taught those subjects as well and I loved my time there. It was just wonderful. Um, so in all those years, I was either actively doing art craft type work myself or I was teaching others to do it which is a really wonderful thing to do I mean you do learn a lot I learned from students every day I'll just tell you one funny story this is from the textile and clothing department I was teaching right. a, I was teaching a um a course on designing clothes and it was about different figure types so the object of this particular day was that they make a, a they design a garment for a pregnant woman and there would have been an occasion she was attending but I won't worry about that because I can't remember what it was but anyway I had this student who was really quite different and he came up with this design and when I looked at it I thought he can't do that what he'd drawn was a a, a garment, a simple garment with a big red target, if you like, appliqued onto the garment with a hole cut out of the second centre to allow the, the pregnant tummy to, to poke, poke through. Oh, and four big red arrows pointing in to this circle. And my reaction, as I said, was he can't do that. And I then I thought very quickly and I thought, why not? Of course he can do that. And so you know what? He was ahead of his time because it wasn't long after that and women when women started wearing figure-hugging clothes, pregnant women um, wanted to show off their baby bump, whereas in my day we wore clothing that um, sort of hit it a bit. So, you, you know, I learned a lot from students. I hope I, learned, I, I know I learned as much as I hope they learned from me. Right, that's that bit. <laughs> <laughs> that's so fascinating, though, Athelie. Just before you go on to the, the, the next bit, it just what really comes across there is that you're quite the entrepreneur, probably before the name was even given the credence it was today. You were always spotting an opportunity and, and, and teaching and 
setting up a business around it, right? Yeah, I always had I always had enough skills to be able to earn some money. And that's a good thing, especially when you're at home with children. You can't always back then you didn't go out to work so much. You did stay at home with your children. And I loved those years. But because I had some skills, I was able to to do the work I did around my family. And I was lucky too that John John was the way he was. He was very active as a father, but he worked away from home a lot as well. So as I said before, if he was away for a weekend, then I was at home and then I would be away for a weekend and he would be home and then we'd have one weekend where we were all together. <laughs> so, so that worked really yeah. well for us. Um, we were very lucky. We got on very well and our roles were interchangeable. We just... Whoever yeah. was home did it. I remember our daughter in grade 10 had to write a, a piece on who does what in the home. So she wrote it as it was. She said, whoever gets home first brings in the washing. Whoever's home first starts getting the vegetables ready. And and, mm. and dad does the shopping on Thursday night yeah. and so on and so on. And when she took it back, the teacher was really quite rude. Lorinda was terribly upset. And I don't know why the teacher did what she did because she was a single mum and you would have thought that she would have known welcomed it. Yeah. what people do. And as well as that, when Lorinda told me what happened, because she was quite scathing about what Lorinda wrote, and more or less Lorinda got the idea that she didn't believe that this is the way we ran our family. But uh, oh. see, John did the shopping on Thursday night because I was teaching. And we didn't yeah. want to waste the weekend doing food shopping. We wanted to have the weekend to do things that we want to do with our family. So you do the things you do to make your life work Absolutely. easier. And, and to also have that balance of family and work. So I, I, Lorinda was terribly upset at the time, but I said to her, you know what, there are so many different families, Lorinda. I said, just thinking your people you know, there were two young boys, they live with their grandparents. There were parents mm. who, who there were children who had only one parent, so there were single parents. There were um, there were there were uh, friends of theirs who had two dads, and there were friends who had two mums. So there were many different families, and so you can't put conditions and 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 expectations on each family because everyone will handle it differently according to their circumstances. So she learned totally, totally right. Yeah, she learned a lesson, but the teacher really needed to. <laughs> yes, the teacher, yes, the irony there is not lost there, probably lost on her, no. but uh, yeah. So, actually, tell us how you came to be doing um, the art you're doing now. I mean, this is so, it's just so flowed one into the other, how you went from textiles into art into, you know, as you said, how did you come to be doing what you're doing today what's the story there I'll just tell you the next from 2001 we retired John actually retired a year well John was made redundant in 2000 and Mm. I stayed on another year I was asked to stay on because they needed to the art school uh, was going to combine with the university so they needed someone who knew the situation to work in that role in that transition period. So I took on that role. It was a big year because um, I was still teaching, 
but I had lots of meetings. There were two big projects happening. So there was the School of Fine Furniture was going to move into the TAFE Art School. We were going to move over to the U- university where they were preparing a, a new space for us, all very exciting, and we were going to work together over there. So I had meetings with the hierarchy of the university and their architects, and I had meetings with the um, School of Fine Furniture um, people and the and the businessmen of Launceston who were driving that and their architects. So it was a really interesting year, something I never dreamed that I would ever do, but I'm really pleased that I did. It was it was just a fantastic year. Um, so I retired a, a year later, and um, the first thing we did was we took an overseas trip. We were very fortunate while I was still working. Um, I I did apply for the job, but I had a plan A and a plan B, and plan A really was to retire with John. Plan B was if I got the job, I would work for another three years. I didn't get the job, so I wasn't too unhappy. The staff staff were more unhappy than I was. But um, at that time, John rang me up one day and he said, do you remember those shares we had? We bought these shares that didn't do anything. They just sat there for years. And... What he'd done was he'd sold an insurance policy that we didn't need anymore. It was one to cover the children, you know, in case something happened to John to allow them to be educated, and we didn't need it anymore. So we sold it and bought these shares that just sat there. Anyway, this particular week, when I just learnt that I didn't get the job, the shares started rising. And they rose and they rose and they rose. And on about the fourth day... A lot had happened, and I said to John, I really that... think you should pull out. And our son had bought some yeah, as well, but not that's... as many as well, we ama- had. That's amazing, so though. You just did it right out at the right time, right? Chris didn't pull out till the following day. But they went down that next day. Chris got some money, not as much as us. And guess what? They have never come back up again. And that's a lot. that is a lot of years ago. <laughs> So we had this money and so we went to our financial Mm. planner and said, look, we've got this money, should we, we hadn't planned on having it, it's just there now, and should we put it into our retirement plan or, and he said, what's the or? And I said, oh, have an overseas trip. And he said, I think you should have an overseas trip. So we did. So we went to Europe and that was the best thing. listening to Nikki Jameson Art Talks with guest artist Atalie Taylor. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it, leave us a comment and follow the podcast so you never miss an episode. Let's get back to the interview. But I use the camera in, in a different way to most people, in a sense. Um, but I, around 2009, I joined a camera club and um, got very involved in in entering competitions and state in, in the club and in the state and 
even interstate and, and international I did for one year. Um, I earned two, two um, what do you call it, um, I got the first, yeah, not just awards, not just getting an award, but I earned two, what do you call it? So with through FIAP I got one big award, which is the first of those, and I got the same in the Australian Photographic Society. But I stopped doing it after a year. I The thing that bothered me was the sameness of the photos. I didn't want to be... Like, I didn't want to lose myself. I wanted to still express myself in my way. And what I saw was, um, let's say, a bird, a beautiful bird sitting on a branch with a wonderful catch light in its eye, pin sharp feathers and a beautifully blurred background. I saw so many in the (laughs) catalogues, beautiful photos, but pretty much all the same. And then that grew into the birds catching the fish, so you'd see heaps of those and then and then you'd see birds fighting in the air and so on and so on and I and then you'd see the the fishermen in Vietnam throwing their nets and the buffalo coming down through the water but everyone what once one person did it everyone across the world would do something similar and I thought this is not really for me I'm too much I want to do my thing and I want to do it in my way and I want to stay who I am rather than following following others, if you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah, I know so what you I mean. Yeah, I didn't really do that anymore. I still entered competitions and things, but not the international ones. I didn't bother with that anymore. Mm. And um, how did you get... How did you get, actually, to – I think we're coming to it, though. How did you get to – because you're, de- you're definitely not doing just the photography today. That's for certain, no. right? So I joined the camera clubs, and then in 2014, it must have been, in December was when I saw Sebastian's Photoshop Artistry course. So I think it was on the 23rd or the 24th of December that year, I bought that course – and then he announced that he was having the first of the Awake courses starting on January the 1st, which was only a few days away. Mm. And I hadn't done anything with the other course yet. So <laughs> I wrote to him and said, you know, I hadn't started. He said, oh, no, you'd be able to still do it and um, you could do the two together. So I sat up all night so that I could be, I would actually get into the course. And at the time he told me I was actually the first one in. So <laughs> You have a time difference there because I think everybody around, lots of people were sort of sitting up and uh, waiting to sort of, okay, now we can get in, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I think he put about 50, 50 places aside for people like us who live down under. <laughs> Mind you, yeah. Yeah, anyway, so he said I was first, so I don't know if that's right or not. But that's when I had I couldn't do the courses. I already mentioned that um, that my internet was terrible and I couldn't watch the videos, so I really didn't do anything with those. I continued on with my working in my own way. So in 2015, not long after we started Awake in January, I had my first solo exhibition. I was... Um, what happened was the camera club had a 125th anniversary and we had um, an exhibition at the casino and we had it up for three months. John and I were very actively involved. I printed a lot of the work and John matted everything and we checked the work every day, every day or two, because the casino cleaners won't touch artworks or 
or things like that. So we would go up and straighten them and wipe them and so on. And so we became quite well known up there. And the lady who organised it came to us one day and said, look, when this exhibition comes down, will you organise another one with fewer people and larger works? So I worked out that there was space for six people to exhibit. And so six of us put our work in. I won't go through what happened because it was a little bit ugly. I did it through the camera club and I really should have just picked the people myself. But as it turned out, the people I wanted to be in it were in it. That was good and very successful. When that was coming down, they asked me would I like to do a, a solo exhibition so I did that. And so I had um, 17 pieces in that. In one of the first Awake magazines, you'll find um, there's a bit of a write-up about it and some of that work is in there as well. Um, and I sold seven out of the 17, which I thought was pretty good considering I wasn't well known. Well, I wasn't well known for doing artworks at all. Um, I would have been well known for other things, but certainly not artwork. So I was pretty chuffed with that. And um, so I didn't really do the Awake or Photoshop artistry courses that most people have done. I tried to, I started in the black and white thinking once we got better internet connection, thinking I would work on that and get myself back into it. But then I had a big computer crash and so that stopped that. And then we went away and then I started having some some issues and problems. Uh, I founded the Artist Down Under uh, group and magazine in um, 2016. And so was it got, you, Athalie, sorry, was it you that you found, I remember that, I wanted to actually talk a little bit about that. So yes. you actually founded that magazine. You and was I did, it, yes. it started with you, yes. This is, this is I thought was, as much. Mm-hmm. Yes, well, what happened at the, at the beginning of that year in January, um, I was talking to Dean Hon and um, I, was, well, I was kind of having a little bit of a whinge and thinking, how on earth are we going to promote ourselves down here? You know, Art Bowie is a wonderful site, but it's an American site and it's more difficult to have work printed through that. At that stage, they weren't they weren't sending work outside of the US. Yeah. And so I kept thinking there must be something we can do. And Dean just made the comment, well, we'll just have to help ourselves. And he went overseas at that time and he didn't think any more about it. I said something like, yeah, right, <laughs> in my best Australian <laughs> accent. And and then I got thinking and I thought, you know what, I think I could do something. I can't help everybody, but if I started a group for people down under, so Australia and New Zealand, we consider New Zealand as our cousins across the ditch. So they're always involved. You, you probably know a bit of our history. The Anzac, yes. Anzac, the Anzac. Day is Australian and New Zealand Army Corps. So we've got yeah. a big history. So I thought if we could do, if I could do something for those two groups of people, maybe that would help. And the magazine, uh, in that, and at about that time, Maureen Maxwell came down on a trip and she came round for dinner and I discussed with her and showed her what I was thinking of doing. In the meantime, I'd actually had a friend come and we'd, we'd done a mock-up of the magazine, so she was able to see kind of what it was I was planning. And then I needed to contact Sebastian, which I did, um, to see if he was okay with us doing that which he was. And so 
the first magazine came out in April that year. And uh, in that one, that was a fairly simple magazine, but I already had plans for other things. So I wanted to include interviews with people outside the group so that there was artists, they had to live in Australia or New Zealand. So there were Australian and New Zealand artists or galleries or photographers being interviewed to bring a bit of the outside world into the group. That worked really well. And um, and then I had four um, featured artists every month and um, and we congratulated, we, we showcased people and, and congratulated them on their successes. So there were things like their gallery openings. Um, one lady wrote a book and so there was a book launch. Another one started a new business. So all of those things were, were they had were features in the magazine too. But then I came unstuck because we were we were away from home. We were travelling in our motor home. I was doing the magazine every month and it was terribly wet weather. And so normally I'm out and about and walking quite a lot, but the weather was really against us. And I was doing the magazine, which meant I was sitting a lot. And I ended up, by the time I got to Queensland, I wasn't too well at all. And I ended up in hospital with blood clots so in the lungs. So that my family said, that's it. You're not doing any more. <laughs> You're not to do anymore so I ended up um, I passed the editorship over to um, Pam Henderson and so she's been doing it ever since Um, I was really disappointed because it was my baby but you just have to move on don't you (laughs) well you have you can't endanger your health Uh, I mean you know you could have pushed past that but not to not at the risk of your health right and uh, and and the magazine I mean it's I kind of remember that yes you started this and the magazine has is, is just gone from strength to strength so I think you can be really really proud of really proud of it because if it wasn't for you it probably wouldn't have even got started at all no. and we wouldn't even have it right it's no, uh, I'm, I'm you know pleased that I started it um, it was a good thing to do and as you said it's grown and that's really good and the group it's a wonderful group we've had um, they've just had their third get together in um, the Blue Mountains Alona and Christina organised that. Um, we had one in Launceston last year that Dean organised. I helped a bit behind the scenes towards the end, um, but Dean really did all of it, Dean and his wife Marilyn. And the one before that we had in Melbourne and Mary Nags and Andrew Hayson organised that one. So we've had three get-togethers where awake people and us down under people have met, which is really good. And I meet up with people, I meet up with people all of the time, like if I'm away on a trip, I'll try and meet people, you know, find out who lives in that area and catch up with them if I can. I catch up with Christina and Alona when I go to Sydney. I catch up with Mary Maggs and Andrew and Anne Wenner and sometimes Sue Masterson when I'm in Victoria. So, I recognise all those names. <laughs> and Trish, Trish, when we had the one in um, Launceston, Trish, Alona, and Christina um, and uh, Helen Ackerstrom all stayed with me for that one. So oh, that fantastic. was fabulous as well. So we all know each other quite well now, yeah. which is really great. 
That is really, really fascinating. And uh, yes, and I interviewed Trish uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, that was a really great interview as well. And she mentioned the uh, the Awake Down Under and how you all have your meetups. And that is really great. Um, it is good. And that's yeah. the thing, that I, even though I haven't really done the courses, what I have got out of it is the the friendships that I've made, not just in Australia, but across the world. Across the world, yes. Yeah, yes, I yes. talked to Charlene, rang me and or made arrangements to ring me, and we had a, a video call. So we met each other's husbands, and we had it. We talked for over an hour. It was really terrific. Um, and you know, and other people I've just talked to online, but it's all still still good. Joanne Wilmot, for instance, helped me with a worked with me on a, a joint. Um, a joint project. It was my project, but I didn't know how to do some things and she offered to come on board. And so we actually produced a book together, which was wonderful. And my friend who the book was for had the opportunity to go to America to be, to her granddaughter's graduation. And so she met up with Joanne and was able to give her a copy of the book. And so that was terrific too. Yeah. I think that's such a beautiful example of you know, even though you didn't do the courses in a in a traditional way or the way, like as you said, like as as everybody else did it, through these friendships uh, and this this network, you've um, not only benefited from the art, and I know you're still creating art, and we're going to talk about that in a bit, but you've also, I don't know, come together as a community of uh, digital artists and artists, and other people have been able to you know, to grow and express themselves and do wonderful things through that as well. It's just it's just mm-hmm. a really beautiful thing, I think. Well, that particular book was a, it was a book of poems. My friend's husband wrote the poems before he died and he asked me if I would get them into book form. I put the project off for quite a while. He wanted me to use my photos for it, but I knew I couldn't do some of them. I just knew they weren't things that I would be able to do. And so I put it off for quite a while and then my friend said, asked me if I didn't, did I not want to do it? And I said, yes, I do want to do it. And so I thought I've got to get my finger out and I have to get this done. I'm not very good at asking for help. And I thought, you know what, there's so many people I think would help me. And then when I asked Joanne, I actually asked Joanne about fonts that I should use and, and, you know, more that type of thing, and she just offered to come on board. And so I worked with her every day. I sent things off to her. She sent things back to be checked. But I also asked a few people for a hand. Jim Dawson did a photograph for me. Mary Nags did one for me. Anne Wenner did one for me. Some other people from Tasmania who I knew would help, they did some photos for me. I had some that I took myself. I had photos scanned from my friend's family album. And I also then purchased some photographs, um, you know, from online stores and, and asked for permission to use them because I just there were photos I really needed. And I wanted... I don't I don't like fiddly photos. I like it to, to state what it is. So they had to be simple and striking. And we did that. It turned out extremely well. And Zeela and her family were really thrilled. And so that was was good. But if it wasn't for the awake people and my other photographer friends, it probably wouldn't have happened. Joanne was really the one who got me got me going with it. Shout out to Joanne Wilmer if she listens to this. You have to make sure she listens to this then so she can see 
<laughs> so she can uh, hear how 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 appreciative you are. Not that I'm sure she knows that already, but you know, it's just it nice so to hear yourself beautiful. mentioned, right? It was a fabulous collab- collaboration, really. It That's really it. Worked really well. Collaboration, yeah. name of the game. Yeah. So you've talked. Uh, so actually, um, I just want to ask you a couple more things. I know. From what you said, you've just given an example of how your art has impacted your life and um, the life of others, like that book of, of poems and, you know, everybody coming coming together. <clears throat> and uh, and then I did want to talk about the art that you're doing now with you, with your with with the iPhone, because I think uh, I, I was actually fascinated about it. you come up with quite a few really interesting ones and I know you experiment with lots of apps but how would you say your art has um and what you've done because it's not just the awake art how would how would you say it's impacted your life well I'm I am an individualist so I don't you'll see I'm different to most other people in the group um and I and I want to stay that way as I said before I, I want to be true to myself and what I do I had two years off you probably noticed I wasn't around for a couple of years so couple of years of ill health because I also had pneumonia the year before on a trip and that stopped me working as well and then after having the blood clots I then found that I had other issues so I've had a year of another year of of just sorting out the the potential problems that I have so I have a lot of blood tests and a lot of testing goes on in my life but this year I thought you've got to get a finger out girl you've really got to do something else so in January I needed a new phone and I investigated the Samsung because I've always had a Samsung and I also looked at the iPhone and my kids were telling me get an iPhone so I did <laughs> it was more expensive than the Samsung Samsung were about to bring a new phone out which they've just done very recently so they were offering big discounts but I I think I've done the right thing I went with iPhone and um, and then um, I started thinking about how much I would really like an iPad. <laughs> and ah. I really didn't think I could afford it. But we had some frequent flyer points. So I talked to John. We had enough for two round-the-world trips, and we're not likely to have two round-the-world trips. <laughs> so we used half of them and got me an iPad. I haven't used it yet, but I'm planning on using it very soon when I go to Melbourne. But oh, I you should use it, yeah. I've been using the phone, and that really has got me back into the swing of things. Mm. I'm back into entering competitions again. I create artwork every day. Um, I've been particularly busy the last month, not so much showing work online because I've been getting ready for some um, competitions where I needed to print work. So I've printed um, 24, no, 26, I think, large A1 plus photos and um, 22 small ones. I've prepared um, I think 22 projected images to go in competitions locally. Today I entered um, light space, two light space and time competitions and two fusion art competitions. So another 20 photos, if you like, for those competitions. So I have been working very hard behind the scenes. 
some of those photos were taken on the iPhone, but some of them are photos that I've taken before with my conventional cameras. So I'm a, yeah. I'm I'm back in the swing of things. <laughs> That's great to hear, Ashley. And uh, I've seen you know some of the work uh, you've been doing at least through your the iPhone and. Uh, it seems like you're going to have, from the number of those prints that you've uh, printed out and the photos, you're going to be in a lot of uh, competitions then in the in the next few days, which is really some of the one of them, for instance, um, the Tasmanian Photographic Federation Photographer of the Year. I've put in four large prints, four monochrome prints, four small prints, and four projected images. So that's a lot of a lot of work just in the one competition. That is a lot. Mm, so yeah. Well, that's, it's great to hear you're back in the swing of things after, you know, the health challenges with your health. And it's so easy to be cut, you know, for things, for life to get in the way, right? And uh, your art sort of goes to to the side. So it's really great hearing that you're back, you know, you're really back in into the swing of things and, and doing stuff behind the scenes and not necessarily posting it online. But I know we're going to hear more about the competitions and uh, and what you're doing there, right? I think so. If well, if you don't hear it, might mean I didn't do very well. <laughs> but you're going to end. You're, you're you're going into them. That's the main thing. It doesn't really matter whether we hear about them or not. The main thing is that you're happy with them. But you generally, yeah. I mean, I, I see you in the in the group. You're generally posting about uh, something, or you're showing something anyway. At least with, with with your phone and and so on. So anyway, that that is pretty. That's really great. I'm really happy to hear that. As it happens, we've covered a lot <laughs> in your story. We've actually covered bits of all these questions, well, most of these questions. However, I just wanted to ask you, uh, so how do you, so you're very prolific and you, I can see you're, you're, you, you've been trying new things with your with the iPhone and different apps and you're going to love trying the iPad. Did you get an iPad Pro with the Apple I Pencil? I went uh -huh. the whole log, one terabyte, the whole works. I went for the best. <laughs> you're in for it. You're you're in for an even bigger treat because I know you're going to experiment because I I have an iPad Pro and I create art on my iPad from time to time and it is just going to open a whole new world with all the apps. I think you'll go down an apps rabbit hole. I don't know, but uh and there are lots of um it's just a, it's going to be a, a real adventure for you. you you're really mm. going to enjoy it. But um, so, how do you balance everything and and keep yourself motivated? How do you how do you do that? Well, I'm either not doing anything at all, or like I am right now, I'm so full on, my head's so full of ideas, and there's not yeah. enough hours in the day. I, I keep very late hours. I'm not good at going to bed. Um, so, yeah, I just keep, and especially with the iPhone, John prefers that I sit in the lounge room of an evening. So with the iPhone, he can watch television and I can play on the iPhone to my heart's content. <laughs> and they're the ones that, you, that I usually put on to Facebook, things that I've been creating and playing with during my evening sessions. <laughs> so, but that's good fun and you can just do so much you, you get an idea and then you follow that idea through and then you get another idea and you follow that through and so it's it has been really good I have purchased the um, iColorama the two iColorama courses I haven't started them yet so that will that will take me into that that realm that I haven't been in yes it will 
digital artistry. I'll learn a bit more how to do to I know how to do things but it will make me do more with my work and maybe bring a new element into what I do um so I'm looking forward to that but I don't want to start it right now I'll wait until I get to Melbourne I'm going to Melbourne shortly Yes, yes. The iColorama courses, I, I think I'm on both of them. I've been on both of them before and they are very, very good. It's going to, like I said, it's going to open up a whole new world and you'll learn loads more tips and techniques and and explore. It's, um, it's a little bit like, you can, and you can actually use the iPhone for a lot of things in that course. That's the other thing. It's not just the iPad. So you can use both. It's really, really exciting. I really... I haven't had time to be in the course of recent just because of everything else I'm doing, but I have the courses and I love a lot of these courses are do at your own pace. So you don't have to finish by a deadline. So you're going to, you're going to enjoy that. <laughs> yes. I'm ready. Absolutely. All right. So where can people find out more about your, your work and, and get in touch with you? I know earlier on, just before we came on this, Paul, you were talking about art, art Boya, the Art Boya course. Um, at the time, it was, I know you've got some stuff on Art Boya, right? Is that correct? I, I have work on Art Boya, and it tells a little bit more about my story too. Mm-hmm. And most of the work I have on there has been successful in one way or another. So some of them have been have been awarded things in competitions. Um, I'm hoping to update that a bit in the next few days. I've just been a little bit busy to mm. do that. It's it's not. I think the last the first the first ones you'll see are actually the exhibitions that I had in 2017. So I won a um, I was awarded a, a a solo online solo exhibition with light space and time so the right. first 20 photographs or first 20 pieces of art because they're not photographs they were in the light space and time online solo exhibition and the first four of those I put into a, a 30 by 30 centimeter competition through the Brunswick Street Gallery in Melbourne and I was awarded a an honorable mention but it came with an offer of a solo exhibition in Melbourne, which was wonderful. It's not that easy to get into an exhibition in the capital cities. So I did that. And so I printed another 13 of those photos that came from the Light, Space and Time solo exhibition. Um, I sold three of those. Two went to live in Sydney (laughs) and one stayed Mm. in Melbourne. And most of the rest of them I gave to a friend of mine. She'd built a a beautiful new ultra-modern home and in the building of the home her husband passed away <clears throat> and so I felt really sorry with her I, for her. I spent a lot of time with her that year toward well really from November right through till February I was pretty much with Lynn most of the time mm. so I thought my work should really live in Lynn's house so that's where most of it is. And uh, Athelie, what would you say are your two biggest challenges and how do you meet them? Well, I, that question was a bit difficult for me because I don't really I, – I do have challenges, but I don't have many that, things that stop me from working. I'm retired. Um, I'm very lucky because my husband helps with the chores and the cooking. So I, I do have quite a lot of free time. 
Um, I mentioned that he likes me in the lounge room of an evening, but that really doesn't stop me from creating. I don't have to sell my work, but of course I'd really like to. So that's a bit of a challenge. I print my large. Yeah, go on. So let's talk about let's talk about that then, because I'm going to link that to maybe the next uh, one of the next questions. Then, so uh, you'd like to sell your work? Let's look at that. That. So, how does that map in with the vision? What's your vision for yourself and your art and your creative life? And where do you think you are on that journey? Because I think that's one of the things we can sell in our art is it's a challenge, even you know, at the best of times, right? So how do you see that? As, as uh, how do you see yourself coming overcoming that, and how does it uh, work in where you would like to go with whatever it is you're doing? That probably is my biggest challenge because I'm retired and have been for a long time. Um, it's expensive, so it's expensive to be involved in exhibitions. But I have been in some, and I'm very lucky that I've done that. Um, I do get my large scale work printed on metal. And that, that really does my work justice because, as you know, I, a lot of my work's very bright mm. and it just looks really good on metal. It's expensive, but it does have impact. And so if I'm going to do something, I do, that's where I do, I do spend my money on that. I recently sold a very large piece. So when that money comes in, I might get something else printed. Or a wall. Now, where Dean, Dean Hon and his wife Marilyn have a studio, um, I was offered a wall there to show my work, and I'm still thinking about that. Um, if I could afford it, I wouldn't mind putting up one really large piece and maybe four smaller ones. Del- it's at Deloraine, which is a-, a country town outside of Launceston, but it's an art community. Mm-hmm. Many of the people who live there are artists. It's a real art community. In November, they have um, a big craft fair. Um, it's the biggest in Australia, and people come from all over the Australia, all over Australia, to be involved in it as exhibitors and also as visitors. But even the town itself attracts people. We've been there twice lately, and each time the town has been full of people. So it's a good place for Dean and Marilyn to work because there are people coming through their their huge area, that they've got a section of a huge area. So there are people going through that studio area all the time. Um, so it could be a good place to put my work, but I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, it might it might be an opportunity, you know, for uh, because yes, to print. And sell your work is uh, you're always going to have that expense, even and even renting space to put your work. It's uh, it's an expense. But the good thing is, if you're selling your if you sold your work, you know, you can sell more work. So sometimes it's just getting the right eyes and being in the right spot to actually um, get your message out and uh, have people see your work. Right. And then hopefully it begins to pay for itself. That's exactly right. So if you can sell one piece because it wasn't a cheap piece, um, I, you know, it's going to give me enough money to maybe do a little bit more. I'm, yeah. as I said, I'm not sure yet. I have approached some galleries, but I haven't followed up on it, I must admit. <laughs> I, should, I really need to get a finger out and get on with it. But the good, the, the great thing is, that, uh, you're clearly entrepreneurial there, but based on your stories and what you did before. So 
as soon as I'm sure that when you see the right opportunity, you'll it will just click and you'll you'll do it if only to try it, right? That's what that's what it sounds like to me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so all right. So um to the oh, over the hours mark now, but this has been such fun. It's just so fascinating listening to your your story and um just hearing about the background behind your your art. So do you have any tips for artists or creatives who would like to either do what you're doing, i.e. creating art, selling their art, or doing anything entrepreneurial, or even just creating art, not necessarily needing to sell it? What tips do you have? I always love to ask artists what their thoughts are to other people who are sort of thinking, oh, I wish I could do something like that. Well, my main thing is just get started. Do some courses if you need to gain skills or get get on to Dr. Google to find out how to do it. There are so many things on so many subjects available for us all today. Join a group of like-minded artists to meet physically or online. And most of all, don't give up if the going gets tough, and it mm. sometimes does. Take a break, have a breather, get back to it, or shelf that piece for another day and start something new. You might revisit it one day or never. That doesn't really matter. Just get on with it. That's fantastic advice. Can't say better than that. Just don't give up. Get started. Because it's funny, though, when you think about it, it sounds so simple, but so many of us just don't get started, right? Because we're we think of one excuse or there's a reason and we end up not doing it. So the important thing is to get started with whatever it is you want to do and see where that takes you. And we might be surprised where it, where it can take us. Right, Ashley? Exactly. I mean, I had two years of procrastinating, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> so, yep, I'm a perfect example. <laughs> so listen to Ashley, listen to her story and, you know, do as she says, <laughs> you'll be fine. <laughs> right, so actually, any last thoughts that you would like to share? Yeah, I, I, my main advice is to stay true to yourself. Learn from others, but don't copy styles or ideas that others have worked hard to develop. Grow your own ideas, hone your skills in editing and photography, and most of all, enjoy the creative process. Every piece of work is about you. It shows who you are and what you're about. The only person you have to please is yourself. If you like it, then be proud and show it. You might be surprised. There will be some who love it, some who don't, but that doesn't matter. You you created something that means something to you and that's the most important thing. That's so... Sorry, Ashley, did you want to say more? No, no, that's... I didn't want to interrupt you and I, I always no. try and wait you stop speaking but I just wanted to say that that is so profound and it's so necessary for uh, artists and creatives hear that um, because so many times I see people who are either put off or they're stopped or they feel that if they're not doing art in a certain kind of way or copying a certain kind of style then somehow they're not an artist or their work's not great and that is so not the case. You know, we can use, we can look at other people's work to 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 learn to see what pieces we can pull from it to learn and put in our own uh, process or approach. But it is so important, as Atlee says, to be true to ourselves and look for our own creative expression. And every piece of art is about 
you, the artist, and it's what the artist, you, the artist, thinks about it that is more important, not the opinions of a hundred other people, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I could say that a hundred times because it is so true, and I just wish I could kind of sort of put it in this banner that doesn't matter about anybody else. What do you think about it? It's the pleasure you get out of creating whatever it is that you're doing at the time. There's a lot of pleasure in that. I work all the time when I'm sitting in the chair, and to be honest, I completely lose myself in in the process. And sometimes when I'm working on a piece on the computer and I start and and hours can go by and at the end I have no idea how I reached that, that end. It's just some. It's a process that's ongoing, and it happens. And then in the end, you say, "Oh, wow! I'm really pleased with that." But how I got there, sometimes I don't know. That's that's so true. That's so true. I think that's being in the flow. That that magical place when you're just in the flow of things, and you're just you're just going along with it. Yeah, I can't do that so much now because I bought a Fitbit that tells me every hour that I should be up and walking. <laughs> Once upon a time, I would have, I could have come downstairs. My, my office is under the house, so I could have come downstairs where I don't know whether it's day or night and I can work along. I don't know what's happened outside and I can go upstairs and it's completely black because because I started work in the morning and in the late in the afternoon it's it's got dark and oh I have my never God. realized. <laughs> so, um, I, I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean it sounds it sounds good in one point in one sense, but in the other it sounds mm, maybe not. not. I, do, I can't do that anymore. I've got to get up and walk. <laughs> I'll just be rooted to the spot creating art in just one spot for the whole day. But uh such is the creative process, and we all know we've all we've all been there, right? So, uh, but we've got to take care of our health and walk around and actually yes. eat. And I tell everybody now, don't you be sitting at your computer for too long. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the Fitbit is a good investment, I will say. It is. It buzzes me. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Ashley. So this has been a really, really enjoyable time i have so loved hearing about your your story especially you know how you've just taken all these entrepreneurial business <laughs> you know that you know you just never know uh, the, the story behind people's art and their their journey and so on. so thank you so much for sharing that with us my morning your what time is it there um it's now hang on it's 104 in the morning? In the morning. <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> but that's okay. That's quite early for me. <laughs> Keep you way past your bedtime, but thank no, it's you. Not. It isn't really. I sometimes talk to Helen Ackerstrom at two and three o'clock in the morning on Messenger. That's that's great. Yes, I noticed now you are up at uh, odd hours. And how would I know that? Because I'm up at odd hours as well. But anyway, um, <laughs> thank you so much for sharing uh, um, your your story and your time. I've really enjoyed this uh, interview and learning about you. And I'm sure our, our listeners will um, will will think the same. And it's just been great to 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 share with you and hear what you're all about and what's the story behind your art. So I will 
you'll see, I know you're going to send me the link to your Art Boyer site, and thank you for talking about that. And I will include that link in the show notes. And you'll be able to share this interview with whomever you want once it once it's published. So I'm going to bring this interview to a close. To a close, rather, to a close. <laughs> I'm going to bring this interview to a close and thank you and say to everybody, this is Nikki Jameson's Art Talks. I am with guest artist Athlete Taylor from Tasmania and we're saying bye-bye for now and take care of yourselves. Till next time. So, bye, Athlete. Thank you. Thank you, Nikki. Goodbye. Goodbye. Talk to you on Messenger or on Facebook. Yes. <laughs> Bye for now. You've been listening to Nikki Jameson Art Talks with guest artist Atalie Taylor from Tasmania, Australia. Thanks so much for listening. You can find me, Nikki Jameson, at nikkijameson.com, Nikki Jameson Art and Nikki Jameson on Instagram. Follow my podcast to listen to more fabulous artist interviews. Take care of yourselves and bye for now.